Well, good morning. How you guys doing? If you have your Bibles, go ahead and open them up. Turn them on to Ephesians chapter 5. And happy Valentine's Day to you today. Guys, don't forget that it's Valentine's Day. You need to do something nice for your wife. And I pray that everybody's day might be filled with a lot of love. Ladies, let me ask you a question. Who is the most romantic man in the history of the world? Who's the most romantic man in the history of the world? Well, if you are over the age of 50, you might say Elvis Presley was the most romantic man, or perhaps you would say Cary Grant, or maybe you'd say Pepe Le Pew. Remember Pepe Le Pew, the cartoon character? He was very romantic, wasn't he? Or if you're in your 40s, perhaps you remember back and you think, how about Richard Gere or Alex P. Keaton or Uncle Jesse? Have mercy. Remember Uncle Jesse? And you think maybe they're the most romantic man in the world. If you're under 40, uh, maybe Matt Damon, uh, Brad Pitt, uh, Leonard Hofstetter, somebody like that, uh, the most romantic man in the world. Well, my wife, Stacy, is not here today. Uh, she's still on maternity leave. You know, we have a newborn son, and so we're trying to keep him away from your germs. So she's still on maternity leave. But the other day, I, I was at, or last night, actually, I asked her, I said, hey, babe, I guess that was too personal, but hey, babe, uh, uh, who is the most romantic man of all time? And then there was this long pause. And then she said, Lash Banks. I was like, yeah, yeah. Now, the reason is not because I'm the most romantic man ever. I mean, I try, but I'm, I'm not the most romantic man ever. The reason's not because I'm the best-looking guy in the world. The reason why, to her, I'm the most romantic man of all time is because I'm her husband. And of all the people on planet Earth, God chose her, and He chose me, and He brought us together, and He brought us together in love. We belong to each other. We, we are husband and wife. This, ladies, this hunk that is standing before you today, uh, I'm off the market. I'm married. I, I am committed to her. She is my wife for 18 and a half years now. We have walked through life hand in hand together in marriage. She's the love of my life. She's my wife. And you may have noticed we're very different people. Anybody notice that? Yeah, we're, we're very different people. But whenever I'm with her, I experience something. The complement of love. It's the complement that occurs whenever God brings a man and a woman to very different people from different backgrounds, different families together, and they experience the complement and beauty of love. Well, the scripture that we're going to look at today will teach us how to find love's greatest complement. Now, it's found in Ephesians chapter 5, and as you know, if you come here every week, we have been working through the book of Ephesians. My favorite way to preach is section by section through a book. It provides a lot of continuity. I think whenever you do that, it helps you dig a little bit deeper into, you know, what is this saying? And it begins to take deeper roots or grow deeper roots within you. Now, there's another thing that happens whenever the preacher preaches through a book of the Bible, and that is whenever you come across what people consider difficult passages, you can't wimp out. 
you've got to cover them, okay? And so this is a passage that some people would consider a difficult passage, but in it, there is a tremendous amount of wisdom and advice that if you're married, if you will follow what the Scriptures teach you here, it will help you to enjoy every day in the depths of love. If you are single and you think, one day I might want to be married or one day I, I might get married, then what if, if you will live out what is taught in this passage, it will save you from untold problems. Now, there's another category that people don't think too much about, and that is the person who is celibate. For whatever reason, they will not engage in marriage because that's how God designed them or that's what God has called them to. And you might be amazed that some of the greatest marriage advice ever written was given to us through the Holy Spirit by people who were called to be celibate and they were kind of able to look at marriage from an outside perspective and give us a lot of godly wisdom. Well, we're going to work from the bottom of the passage upward today, so it'll be a little bit unusual in that regard. But in verse 31 of Ephesians chapter 5, the Bible says, For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. This mystery is profound, but I am talking about Christ and the church. To sum up, each one of you is to love his wife as himself, and the wife is to respect her husband. Now, if you look at society today, you'll find that much of our culture, much of the way in which we try to process life, revolves around the theme of love. And particularly, it would revolve around this hashtag that became really famous last summer or last year, which says, Love Wins. Now, long before uh, that became a famous hashtag after the Supreme Court ruling, People had that as a major theme in their understanding of love. Love wins. You see it in our romantic movies. They basically all have a similar plot line. You have two people that have attraction to each other, but then as the movie continues, they encounter rules, they encounter obstacles, and those rules and those obstacles threaten them to ever really get together. So the plot of the romantic movie is that they overcome the restrictions, they overcome the rules, and then in the end they are together and love wins. You see it in music, you see it in art, you see it in poetry. There's the same pattern. Rules are the enemy of love. What you need to be is just be yourself, and what you really need to look for is somebody that will allow you to be yourself because when you find that, all the restrictions, all the obstacles that are on your love will be removed, and then you'll be able to come together with the person that will allow you to live happily ever after and will complete you, and then love wins. Now, Christianity takes a different look at love. Instead of love wins, Christianity comes from the premise that love won. You'll remember the famous verse of Scripture, John three sixteen. for God so, what? Loved. Out of God's love for us, He sent His Son. And then His Son lived a life that you and I can't live. We live a life that is stained by sin. His Son lived a life that was never touched by sin. On His death, on, during His death on the cross, Christ died for your sins and mine. He 
died as a substitute for you and me, making atonement for our sin. And then, of course, we understand that death did not contain him. He overcame death and he rose again and he conquered the sting of death, which all of us feel. And because of that, love won. Love has won through Christ. And so as Christians, we understand, John teaches us, God is love. And so love doesn't define God. God defines love. Whenever you understand God, then you begin to understand love. Whenever you understand that it was out of God's love that he sent his son, and then you understand who Jesus is, what he has done for you on the cross, and then you in faith believe in Jesus as Lord and Savior, you experience the love, the grace, the forgiveness that can only come from God through Christ. And at that point, you are able to live in the victory that Christ had in his love, and you begin to experience the reality of what it means when I say love won. Because Christ won, then we are able to experience the depths of love in our relationships. Now, there are two places in the world where we should see genuine love modeled for us day in, day out. The first place is the church. A lot of this passage is about Christ's love for the church and how Christ loved his church so much that he was willing to die for her. And the church then loves Christ so much that we are willing to live for him. The second place that we ought to see the depths of love modeled is in our marriages. When two people come together in marriage, the scripture says, for this reason, Because of Christ's love, for this reason, we illustrate Christ's love when a man and a woman leave their father and mother, join together, and the Bible says the two become one flesh. So let me ask you this question about your special relationship. And I think the question applies to all your loving relationships, really. Your relationships with your children, with your parents, with your siblings, your friends but particularly with that special someone. Is your relationship a compliment or is it a clash? Are you complimenting each other? Are you clashing with one another? Whenever you clash, you move towards isolation and you move apart. Whenever you compliment, you move towards God and you begin to display the beauty of true love. Now, for something to be a compliment, several things have to be in place. First of all, there has to be a clear difference. A clash results when there's too much difference or when there's not enough difference. You see this in your clothing. If your clothing doesn't match, there's a clash. If your clothing is too similar and you kind of have a monochrome look, you can also have a little bit of a clash. A compliment exists, though, whenever the, the, the differences blend together. And out of that, there's a match. There's a beauty. Well, biblical marriage has a clear difference. There's a man and there's a woman, and they come together. Now, just let me in on a little secret. There are some differences between men and women. Okay, And it goes beyond just anatomy. There are some divine differences. In Genesis, the Bible talks about God created them male and female, and he created them in his own image, 
out of that creation, we are to reflect the image of God. And whenever you see the complement of gender and you see men being men and women being women and men and women coming together uh, in marriage and the beauty of love, you see a better reflection of who God is and what he designed us to be. Those differences are not accidental. They are intentional. In order to have a complement, you also have to have an understanding. You see a clash results when there's confusion. If there's lack of communication, then you start clashing and moving towards isolation. But a complement exists when there is a direction and there is an understanding. Well, God gives us understanding about marriage here. He says that we are to leave and cleave. Whenever a man and woman enter into marriage, they form a new family. If you're married, you're forming a new family whenever you get married. Now, marriage was God's idea. Marriage is not something that we created. It's not something that we recreate. Marriage is something that goes all the way back to the early pages of Genesis. It was God's idea. And from marriage uh, comes family. And from family, we have society. And a society is never stronger than its families. Whenever the families begin to crumble, the society begins to crumble. And so one of the greatest things that God has given us is the gift of marriage. And from that gift, we are able to enjoy the beauty of a healthy society where families are truly functioning. Thirdly, a complement has to have a joining. A clash results when our differences drive us to isolation. But a complement exists whenever our differences bring us to Unity, And so you see in the passage that two will become one flesh. I think there's also an allusion in those words, two will become one flesh, to sexuality. And we understand sexuality to be an illustration of marriage. Whenever a man and a woman come together in intimacy, it is a private renewal of public vows. There is a complement where the two genders, the, the feminine and the masculine, they come together in a beautiful way to illustrate the beauty of marriage and the beauty of love. You see, sexuality does not exist just to illustrate me as an individual. Sexuality exists to illustrate marriage. And it, 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 every time you come together in that way, you are illustrating the marriage that God has established. Much of life's beauty is found in the complement. If we eliminate complement, you strip life of so much of its beauty. Think about food. How many of you guys like to cook? Anybody like to cook? Anybody want to try to be a chef or aspiring chef or something like that? Well, if you're going to cook a good meal, you have to blend the flavors. And when those flavors blend together in a delightful way, the meal is enjoyable. Think about music. You're going to have good music. You don't just have one note over and over again. You have a blending of instruments. You have a blending of notes. You have a blending of voices. And as those uh, various elements come together and complement one another, then you have beautiful music. Same thing's true with art. Uh, you have different shapes. You have different colors. And so the artist brings these shapes and colors together in such a way that there is a masterpiece. There is a work of art that is beautiful to the eye and enjoyed by 
the observer. And the same thing is true in love, that whenever there is a complement that comes together, we come from different families, different backgrounds, different genders, different perspectives, different personality types, but we come together and there is a complement and a beauty that is found in love. Life's greatest complement is love. And so my prayer for you today is that you will discover that love is about giving rather than getting. Love is about giving rather than getting. Well, what's the best Valentine's gift you've ever gotten? Anybody get engaged on Valentine's Day at some point? Nobody got engaged on Valentine's Day? Anybody get married on Valentine's Day? Wow, man, that's, that's unusual. A lot of people get engaged and married on Valentine's Day. Well, the greatest gifts that you can give on Valentine's Day are the gifts of love and respect. And in the passage that we look at here, I think Paul really hits on two areas where we sometimes struggle. Particularly, uh, men often struggle to be loving towards their wives. And sometimes women struggle to be respectful towards their husbands. And so Paul gives us some, some direction, some advice, and he gives us some ways that we can complement our spouse. So men, let's start with you. Three ways that you can complement your wife. Now, if you'll do these things, it'll help you. Let's go beyond, hey, you look really good today. <laughs> let's get into some ways that you can truly complement your wife. Number one, you can give of yourself. Ephesians 5 Verse 25 says, Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her. Now think about what he's talking about here. He's talking about Christ laying down his life on the cross for the love that he has for his metaphorical bride, the church. Christ loved us so much that he lays down his life and gives everything in love for the church. He was led by sacrifice. If you think about leaders that you know who mess up morally, they do something that brings shame upon themselves and upon their families. In virtually every case, there is this sense of entitlement this sense, this, this sense that I'm, I'm there to take women for my, for my own pleasure and the sense of entitlement that drives them in that way. Godly love always moves you from selfishness to selflessness. From what am I going to get to what can I give? And men, if you want to compliment your wife, learn to get beyond yourself. And give of yourself and be willing to sacrifice yourself for the well-being of your wife and your family. Now, there's a second thing that you can do. You can compliment your wife by leading your wife to godliness. In verse 26, the Bible says, to make her holy, cleansing her with the washing of water by the word. He did this to present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or anything like that, but holy and blameless and in the same way, Husbands are to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. Now, let me ask you a question. Who initiates in your marriage? Now, I am not talking about 
what you might be thinking about right now, okay? I am talking about spiritual things. Who is the spiritual instigator, the spiritual leader? Who's the one that sets the tone in your marriage? I think the Scriptures teach us that men are to be initiators. We are to be leaders. We are to lead out in spiritual things within our marriages and within our families. You say, but Lash, my wife knows so much more about the Lord than I do. She is so much more godly than I am. Well, I face the same thing. Stacy knows so much more about the Bible than I do. For that matter, my eight-year-old knows more about the Bible than I do. But that shouldn't stop you from being an initiator, for taking those first steps. Okay, in your home, Sunday is a day in which the family goes to church. Whenever major decisions are coming up and you're talking through them and you're looking at them, honey, let's pray about this. Let's make sure that we take time to seek God's direction. If the Lord blesses you with children, we're going to raise the children in the way of the Lord. We're going to spend time every day uh, reading the Bible and talking about the things of the Lord with the children. God is going to be a priority in our home as for me and my house We will serve the Lord, and just as most men feel that desire to protect their home, you also should feel that godly desire to be a spiritual initiator within your family life and within your marriage. Solomon said, the fear of God is the beginning of all wisdom. If you want to be a wise man, a wise husband, a wise father, a wise wife, take God seriously. And seek Him in all things. And men are to make godliness a priority in the home. Now there's a third compliment you guys can give your wives. And that is to care for your wife's needs as Christ cares for the church. Look at verse 29. For no one ever hates his own flesh, but he provides and cares for it. Just as Christ does for the church. Since we are members of His body. You have to get beyond yourself and think about your wife as more than just a object of lust. You have to begin to genuinely care for your wife, identify her needs, and seek to meet those needs and care for her and nurture her as Christ cares for the church. One of the greatest compliments you can give your spouse is to be in tune with what's going on so that you know what the needs are and you're able to genuinely care. Now, ladies, what we're going to look at next, uh, you're not going to hear this on The View. Uh, You're not going to see it in very many movies, and it probably won't be taught in sociology class at Yale or virtually any university. But I want to talk to you about three ways that you can compliment your husband. The first compliment you can give your husband is to submit to his love. In verse 22, the Bible says, Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church. He is the Savior of the body. Now as the church submits to Christ, so wives are to submit to their husbands in everything. You say, Lash, What on earth is this word here, submission? What exactly does that 
mean? Well, it's a military term, and if you dive into it within the Roman context, it was the idea that on the battlefield, in order for the units to be going in the same direction, all the units couldn't be going in the same direction, but all the units had to have a complement, and so there had to be clear instruction, and there had to be clear roles within the battlefield. Otherwise, you would have a collision, and then you would have death and destruction instead of triumph. And so here, within the context of the passage, uh, Paul is saying to the wives that you need to follow your husband's loving leadership. Now, men, I want to make sure that you understand that this is not something for you to go all redneck on. Hey, baby, the Bible says you're supposed to submit to me. If you have to command submission, you've already lost it, okay? You're supposed to be this loving husband that was described in the previous, the previous thing that I talked about. And whenever you're being that man, it's very easy for your wife to, to follow you and, and allow you to be a spiritual initiator and to follow your loving leadership. Now, ladies, let me let you in on a little secret about the male gender, okay? Boys are a lot like puppies. Uh, we respond better to cheerleading and treats than we do to rolled-up newspapers and scoldings, okay? If you want to get the best out of your man, become a cheerleader. Catch him doing something right. Uh, encourage him. Push him out there and say, go, man, I'm on, I'm on your team. Man, I, I'm here with you. I, I've got your back on this. Go out there. You're ready to go. Cheer him on. And whenever he does things that, that are right, I mean, let him know. And be willing sometimes to just take a step back and let him lead. Cheer him on. And you very well may be shocked how he responds. Now, there's a second compliment you can give to your husband. And that is to be unified. The Scripture said in verse 24, Now as the church submits to Christ, so wives are to submit to their husbands in everything. You've got to be on the same page. You have to be a unified team within marriage. You ever had this scenario unfold in your house? If you have kids, you've had it happen. The child, uh, uh, I'll give an illustration. The other day, one of my girls came up and wanted a fun dip. And so they come to me, hey, Dad, can I have a fun dip? Well, I say no. So then five minutes later, they're in talking to Mom. Hey, Mom, can I have a fun dip? And what they're trying to do is they're trying to play you against every, each other, right? You ever had that happen, parents? Yeah, it happens all the time. Okay, now that's just a simple illustration. But sometimes the stakes get a lot higher. And kids will try to draw a wedge between Mom and Dad so that you're not on the same page. You're going in different directions. And boy, if I can get mom to follow me or do my thing here, uh, th then I can, I can push dad away. It's vital for the well-being of your marriage and for the well-being of your family, if God's blessed you with children, that you be on the same page. You see, you've got to be on the same page for you to be moving in the same direction. And a family that goes in the right direction has a mom and dad that are going in the same direction. Now, while I'm on this subject, just let me say this. If you're at that stage where you have children 
it is vital that you continue to cultivate your marriage, that you continue to stay on the same page within your marriage. Now, I know that that gets hard. I've got four kiddos running around the house. And, man, they take a lot of time. There's always stuff going on, and there's times where, man, by the time we get through taking care of them, we're just exhausted. But you've got to be intentional to continue cultivating that marriage because think about what do you really want to give to your kids? One of the greatest gifts you can give to your kids is a healthy marriage. Give them a loving, healthy marriage where mom and dad respect each other, mom and dad love each other, mom and dad are on the same page, they take time to talk things through, and they are unified and together, and the children also know that they can't play mom and dad against each other because mom and dad are seeking God, and they're united together in their pursuit of God. Now, there's a third gift that you can give to compliment your husbands, and that is the gift of respect. In reality, I think respect is one of those things that we should give to all people, and I think it should be a two-way street. But specifically here in verse 33, Paul teaches that wives should respect their husbands. Respect is like air to a man. If he has your respect, he will impress If men don't have respect, they often depress. If you go into a prison setting, you'll find that the worst thing you can do to a man who has had everything else taken away from him is to disrespect him because there's something deep within the DNA of men and and women as well, but deep within the DNA of men that, that just needs someone to believe in them, someone to respect them, and someone to treat them with honor. The Bible teaches us that we should exchange love and respect to one another. I think we ought to have love in our attitudes. You can have a disrespectful attitude that begins to move you towards isolation. Respect and love in our actions, where we're treating one another in a respectful way, and using respectful words. And whenever we begin treating each other with love and respect, what you see is the complement of love begins to be beautiful. With every love story, there's a work of art. And whenever you're, when the colors of your love find complement, that's when you begin to see the work of the master. When the colors of your love lead to a clash, you're going to see a disaster. And so I want to close with some final words to those who are married. If you're married today, I, I want you to know that God has brought you two together. For this reason, you have been joined together. And in spite of all your differences, in spite of your backgrounds, the two of you are together. And together, your love can be a work of art. I also want to encourage you not to let man tear apart what God has put together. There is a lot of advice, a lot of direction that you can read all over the internet and all over the place on what people think marriage should be and is supposed to be. But I would encourage you to try it God's way. Try being a compliment to one another. 
try finding the beauty that derives out of the differences coming together and painting this beautiful picture of love. If you are in isolation mode right now and you've moved into the corners, whenever you come together, it seems to be conflict all the time. I want to encourage you to move out of the corners, to get on the same page, to become unified with each other and unified with your Lord. Because if you will do that, I think you'll discover that your love can be a work of art. Would you be so kind as to stand with me, please, as we bow our heads and we come to a time of commitment. Actually, before you bow your heads, I want to give you some instruction as to what we're going to be doing next. Uh, During our invitation time today, we're going to remember Christ's love for us. And the way in which we're going to remember Christ's love for us is by taking of the Lord's Supper. Whenever you eat of the bread, it reminds you of how Christ died on the cross for your sins and mine. When you drink of the juice, it reminds you of how Christ shed his blood for us on the cross. It also reminds you of the grace and the forgiveness and the new hope that is found in Christ and through Christ. And so as Christ loved the church, we celebrate his love together by the taking of the Lord's Supper. There's a station here. Our deacons will be here to serve it. There's two stations back at the back that they will serve you there as well. Depending upon where you're sitting in the room, just go to that station that is nearby. Once you've received the elements of the Lord's Supper, go to a place, uh, go back to your seat, spend a few moments in prayer, in reflection, and then whenever you are ready, together with your spouse, with your family, with the friends, with whoever you're with, uh, just partake of the Lord's Supper and make this a meaningful time where we remember who Christ is and what He has done for us. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank You for the depths of Your love. Thank You, Lord, that You don't love us with a superficial love that is nice when you feel like it, nice when you want something. Thank You, Father, that You love us with a sacrificial love that drove You to send Your Son. Thank You, Father, that in that love, We have victory, and thank you, Father, that through that love, we may love one another. I pray, Lord, that the love that we share might be a work of art. I pray, Lord, that today as we celebrate love, that we will exchange love and respect, that those two things will be flowing in our homes, flowing in our relationships. And Lord, as we take of the Lord's Supper, we examine ourselves And we think of you. And Father, we are mindful of how great your love is for us. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for who you are. Thank you for what what you've done. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.